This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. And hands it off, and Bell, with a good head of steam, spins up across the 50, breaks it right at the 45. There goes Le'Veon Bell to the 35, the 30, and he runs out a sideline on the far side of the field at the 29-yard line. Matt Elam got him out far side. I just thought we'd play that in case you've forgotten. <laughs> That's all. The Le'Veon Bell talk is about his contract and transition tags and all that, franchise tags and all that. We're joined now by Mark Caballi of The Athletic. He's covered the Steelers for many years now. Mark, I, thank you for joining me. Uh, I thought it would really be instructive, and I saw your tweets yesterday and the ones today. Uh, I, I just thought it would really be instructive so that there's no misconception exactly what the Steelers' options are with him and, maybe more importantly, what Bell's options are. Wow. Do we have enough show time here? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on too, so take your time. <laughs> well, first of all, everybody, I think, believes now knows that he needs to show up and sign his franchise tender by November 13th at 4 p.m. or his season is over. He can't do anything about it. They, and he basically, you know, go back to Miami and hang out for the rest of the year. But there's always the question mark, and there's been a lot of misinformation of what that leaves him with in relation to his contract status potentially next year. And the way it is is he, he will be a free agent. Well, let's assume he does not show up. If he does not show up here on Tuesday, he's still a free agent next year. Um, you can put the franchise tag on him. You can put the transition tag on him as well. However, because uh, he's already had his accrued seasons, so to speak, uh, that's why some people thought, oh, okay, he's not going to have a, a season towards his free agency. He's already a free agent. So he revert, revert back to his free agent season. Then you have to ask yourself, what would the franchise tag be? cost the Steelers next year if they would want to go down that that uh, path then that's where it gets a little tricky that number would then be the third franchise tag even though he does not have an accrued season this year it does not matter the Steelers have used two franchise tags on him that means next year that would be at the five highest paid players in the league not the five highest-played running backs, five highest-paid players or quarterbacks, and that's right around $25, 26000000 million yeah. a year. That's pretty much out of it. Um, shows up next year. Say, say he shows up, Stan? Well, you uh, same thing as that. He, he could be a free agent next year. They can franchise him. The transition tag's a little bit more complicated, but to be honest with you, it's a little bit of a moot point because when you put a transition tag on him, it might be at a lower number that might have to be negotiated because you don't know what you revert back to his salary this year. Is his salary this year the full year or the half year he sets in? doesn't matter. Transition tag means he can go out. We get an offer sheet from another team, bring it to the Steelers, and say, "Hey, the Jets want us to want to sign me for five years, seventy million, thirty-five guaranteed." The Steelers say, "You know what? We're not going to match that. He's yours." Issue there is Steelers don't get any compensatory picks right there. The only way they would be able to gain some leverage there is they could say to the team that he brings the offer sheet from, "We're matching this unless you trade us a second-round pick." That transition tag is just its not going to happen. It's not going to matter. And nothing's really going to matter because I really do believe he'll show up 
on Monday. The question will be after that is when's he going to be able to get on the field and can he contribute this year? And that's a different story. Yeah, I, I want to get to that. But I, I think we're, all the misinformation really came or confusion. And people were under the impression that he had to be here for mm-hmm. at least, I think it was six games in order for yeah. him to get credit for an accrued yeah. season. But apparently yeah. that was never correct. Am, am I right about no. that? Yeah, I mean, he, no, he'll, he still won't get an accrued season. But he doesn't need means, it to become a, ref, uh, a free agent. It. Okay. So the accrued season might uh, affect his pension because the NFL pension plan goes, I believe, by years. Maybe the fifth year you get so much, sixth year. So he'll still, still be like a sixth-year player next year if he doesn't show up, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. But he still has – he won't have an accrued season, but he has enough accrued seasons to become a free agent again. So it was like half right, I guess, on that one, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's closer <laughs> than a lot of people got. Let me just talk about in terms, before we get to his readiness and, and his participation, um, as it's – if he shows up, I want to make sure we're, we're correct on this, if he shows up and, you know, they don't – rescind the tag and all that sort of thing and he plays out the rest of the year in whatever capacity and we'll get to that then the Steelers will get a third round pick in 2020 it all depends now here again now first they would have to not put a franchise tag on him and lose him via free agency next year but however they have to be eligible to be even in the compensatory process and the way you do that is your additions cannot supersede your deletions. So say they go out and sign three free agents in the offseason, but they only lose one, they would not even be eligible for the compensation process to get the compensatory pick process. So they have to make sure if that's the case, they let Legon go via free agency, that they don't sign more free agents. Within a span, I believe it's sometime in May, where those, those then don't count towards the process. They can't have more signings than they have deletions, or they would totally uh, screw themselves. So it's a little bit complicated when you look at that. They just have to make sure that they're losing Le'Veon Bell. Say, I mean, just throwing the name out here, Jesse James, that they better only sign one guy where they wouldn't be eligible for that pick, which would absolutely be a third-round pick. Well, trying to guess along with them, um, it would, I mean, obviously they're never terribly active in the free agent market, but if Bell's not around, then they certainly would have cap space to go and do exactly that. So it would seem like... The only thing, Stan, Stan, they got a ton of money going to be invested in their own players. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe not a ton of money if you want to sign a Jesse James, and if you want to sign Sean Davis to Hargrave, that's a guy you can do next year. Uh, Ben's going to eat up a whole big chunk of that money, too, hypothetically, because uh, he'll be enough going into the final year of his deal as well. And I believe there might be a couple other ones that they could want to keep along, like Alu Alu. I mean, I'm not talking about a ton, ton of money here, but those things tend to add up. So I think it's going to be a lot of less going to find somebody next year than securing their own people that they have there. So that's one benefit, I think, that they have. It makes you wonder also, and getting off track here, um, I, they don't have to, but maybe they would want to get James Conner at $2019 yeah. as opposed to $2021. 
the only thing that that is is they only time they really do that non quarterback with I believe uh, more than a year out was with Antonio Brown in that unique situation. Well, was that five or six years ago when Mike Wallace was holding out? They decided to give him an extension. So, I mean, if you're getting a running back at that price for uh, at least another year, I think you probably would stand pat with that. And if everything goes as planned a year later, then uh, offer him some money. So I don't think they would jump the gun on James Conner just for the fact that if he's getting paid, whatever it was, six, seven hundred thousand, they'll probably go up a little bit more next year, probably be closer to a million. Um, they'll use that money in some other location. It's just the way it goes. That makes sense. That makes sense. What makes sense if, as you suggest, and I agree with you, Bell shows up um, and, you know, he, he doesn't look like Casey Hampton. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's put the jet skis away for the time being. Um, I have said this all along, Mark, <clears throat> that he's a guy who is of value. Let's not forget the kind of player that he is. Um, and that's not to suggest that James Conner is going to be sent to the bench or sent to the woodshed or anything like that. But can you see a scenario where on occasion, not all the time, but a few select opportunities in a ball game where you could see both of them in the game at the same time? Absolutely. I mean, let's just take Sunday's game uh, against the Ravens as an example. I went through and count, counted 23 possible scenarios where he could have been on the on the field as in snap counts where James Conner wouldn't have been affected whatsoever. And what I'm talking about there is a lot of Ryan Switzer. I think first thing you do with Le'Veon Bell, say, you see what Ryan Switzer's role has been? That is now your role. Mm-hmm. And that role would be, you know how it is, he, he lines up in the slot on third downs. He sometimes flexes into the backfield, sometimes hand the ball off to him. Then you had Jalen Samuels taking, what, six to eight snaps the other day just to give him a rest. So there's another six or eight snaps right there. And it, and you go on and on. Derek Taylor Bay had three or four snaps that you could have uh, gave him as well. I'm not saying one iota, one lick of a snap, touch, catch, rush should be taken away from James Conner. This should be status quo with him for the foreseeable future, but there's no doubt that Le'Veon Bell should be in there and sometimes, you know, spelling him in the pass game, in the run game. Plus, you got one heck of a premium insurance policy right there for a guy that's messed up his knee two of the last four years that you, if James Conner gets hurt, you don't have to go to Jalen Sanders. You don't have to go to um, Stephen Ridley you got an all-pro to go to. So I don't see any bad – only the bad situation I could possibly think of is if he turns into James Harrison. Yeah. You know, tries to be a guy that causes trouble and not happy with how he, he's being used. And all my instances, all my interactions, watching him interact with his teammates, seeing him being a, a personality that he has, I really can't see a scenario where that will happen. And I don't see a scenario where it happens that he doesn't come in, make taking a you know a rib or two from the teammates immediately. But I don't see him being unwelcome in that locker room at all. He's just a guy that everybody seems to gravitate to. And I, I said, unless he wants to be a, an idiot and mess this whole thing up, I think it's a perfect situation for them. 
Mark Cabali of The Athletic is our guest here on Saverin on Sports. Uh, you anticipated my next question, Mark. Um, you, I mean, you know him. I know him not as well as you do. Um, I don't see that happening. But let's let's go the other way. You know, David Castro's quote after the game said, you know, I, I don't care. It's not on the conscious of my mind. I would say that at the beginning of the season, I mean, before the Cleveland game, the first Cleveland game, they felt a bit betrayed because I have the feeling yeah. that Bell told a couple of them, yeah, I'll be there like I normally I said I would and blah, blah, blah. And I think that they were angry, the offensive linemen in particular. Um, and I think at that point they felt – that they really needed him to get to where they want to go, which is the Super Bowl. But as time has gone on, and the offensive line has been as good as they've been, and Connor's been as good, said, yeah, we like him, but we don't feel like we need him. I think that's a subtle shift in the way the rest of the team is thinking. Yeah, and that very well could have caused the reason why he's likely to hold out until Monday, or not hold out, not sign his franchise tag until Monday, because all of a sudden he might not be Needed. He might feel a little awkward coming in here on, uh, you know, if James Conner was doing like he did. Still, I mean, with these offensive linemen, and they're just, I mean, like the whole team, the whole organization, everybody in this building over here just getting tired of it, getting tired of Le'Veon Bell. They really don't care because James Conner's playing so well, the offensive line is playing so well. Plus, they're getting a million bucks a year, a week, about for him to stay away. So, I mean, it's just a mentality that has been, you know, taken from Mike Tomlin, how he approaches this situation. I mean, Mike Tomlin can't sit here and dwell about Le'Veon Bell not being here every single week. Then you got three months of talking about it that then trickles down to these guys as well. Like I said, I don't think there's going to be one issue with the locker room. There's going to be some ribbons. Let me tell you that. He's going to come in and they're going to mess with him. Oh, yeah. Bit. But that's... But that's after uh... that, man, yeah, I don't think... I think... I mean, this is a guy that bought them... $50,000 watches last year. So, I mean, as long as they keep winning, keep producing, and he doesn't be a jerk, uh, I don't see anybody even. He's going to be one of the popular guys in the locker room again. Last thing for you, Mark, i got about a minute or so here. What about the two-week roster exemption? Um, how how does that work? Are we past that point, or can they still do that? What, what do you expect on that front? Oh, uh, well, they can still do it. I mean, it's just – but – I don't think he has any leverage now because uh, the the it's passed. I mean, it's the, the date where he has to sign up passed, so he has to sign. So if he doesn't sign now, uh, you know, he, he doesn't show up before. It's like, give me this money or I won't show up. Now it's like, okay, if you don't want $7 million over the next eight weeks, then, you know, don't show up. So I think that was part of it. And I really even though there were reports and even reports from Jay Glazer saying that the Steelers weren't going to pay him this exempt list money, I don't see the Steelers doing that. They've never done that. They've never held grudges like that. They've paid people who retired. Uh, they've paid people that probably, you know, were on injured list that probably shouldn't have got paid. It's just an organization that doesn't run like that. Now they might be a little bit PO'd of how things went, but I don't think they're going to hold – a grudge on him, and, and really, is, how, how much of a point is it going to be if he? I mean, this is—he doesn't get paid if he doesn't play. How many weeks is he possibly going to sit out? I mean, could he sit out that first week, which would be—I don't even know who they play Jackson, after. Jacksonville. Jack, they sit out Jacksonville. Okay, he loses eight hundred thousand or five hundred thousand, whatever they agree upon. 
I would imagine he'd be ready to go next week. I mean, he could fight that, too, because you think about it, he'll just say, hey, I did the same thing last year. I came in, you know, I came in September 7th, and I was ready to go four days later. What's a couple months mean? So, like I said, I think that was just a lot of talk. I don't think they'll, they'll put him on the exempt list just to, you know, probably cover their rear end, but that doesn't mean that they won't pay him the money that he's owed. I just don't see it happening. All right, Mark, as always, very insightful. Really appreciate the time uh, and the conversation. I'll see you yep, soon. Hey, Stan, I'm, Stan, I'm going to be quizzing you on transition okay. tag and franchise <laughs> tag rules later. I'll be ready for the quiz Thursday night when I see you. <laughs> All right, Stan. All right, Mark, thanks very much. All right, great pro football writer covering the Steelers, Mark Cabali from The Athletic in Pittsburgh. Uh, worth the price of the subscription just to read his st- thoughts on the Steelers. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Steelers 0 for 1 on third down. Third and 5 at the 7. Roethlisberger in the shotgun. Decibels go up at M&T Bank Stadium. The Steelers operating left to right. Ben gets the snap. He's back. He throws it to the right. Running for the end zone. Connor gets a touchdown from Pittsburgh for James Connor. His first as uh, the 2018 season moves along, Eric Weddle couldn't keep him out of the end zone. I don't want to take anything away from James, but, I mean, the, the big boys up front are opening holes, and, and, and so it's a collective it's a collective effort. Um, James is going above and beyond. I'm more pleased by what he's doing in the passing game, and from a blitz pickup standpoint, that's a little bit more unique than, 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 the, than the rush, and we, we knew he could run the ball since he showed up at Pitt at 18 or 19. So a shout-out to the offensive line. Not, again, not taking anything away from James Conner. Uh, how could you? Um, I, I, you know, I thought it was interesting that um, he has had so many touches, uh, and he was asked about, boy, you know, 108 touches in the last four games, something like that, whatever it is. And he said, I'm built for this. Uh, and he certainly uh, is. But it was interesting, Mike Tomlin gave a shout-out to the offensive line, which is a perfect segue into Tunch joining us now. Um, on Monday, you normally join me on Monday, right, so it's, yeah, it's an hour yeah. late. Yeah. Well, we moved the clocks back, you right. see, so <laughs> not, that's why that's why we're all messed up over here. Right. Tunch, by the way, is brought to us by Calusi Chevrolet. Uh, Tunch, during the Mike Tomlin press conference today, he was asked about how good the offensive line, and right. is there any reason for it, and ob- the obvious talents of the individual players, Right. the tutelage under Mike Munchak, but he mentioned that they've played together for a long period of time. And I teased this earlier this hour, no one better to ask than you, how important, how valuable is that when offensive linemen know what the other one is doing? You know, it, it is uh, it is so valuable, Stan. I mean, you know, for instance, like let's let's take combination blocking. Uh, if, if say that uh, Ramon and uh, uh, Big Al are having a combination block on the defensive uh tackle and you know to to have a feel for when you come off on the next level or when you stay that's playing together uh you know one of the plays that uh that the Steelers have been running a lot is what we used to call ride 38 where uh it's going to the outside the onside guard David DeCastro is pulling so he's got the first guy he's kicking out the the corner or he's going to log the corner pounces the second guy out and he is going to play off uh, David DeCastro's block. 
So if there's if there's uh, pursuit coming from the inside, he's got to see it. If David DeCastro logs the guy, he's got to know, know to bounce it outside. If David kicks out, he's got to cut up inside to pick up either the safety or the inside backer. The first guy shows in that window. So the more you do that, uh, the better you have uh, a feel of what the guy that you're going to combo off of is going to do. So, and and even in um, you know because of the twists and stunts that they run uh, in uh, 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 against pass protection, now you've got a feel of the guy next to you. So you know, okay, I'm going to stay with my guy, or I'm going to pass my guy off and take the trailer. So all those things factor into playing together. And then there's the nonverbal communication, uh, Stan. You know, there's a wink, nod, hey, this guy's in the gap. I'm going to block down. Ramon, you come around. Uh, and Is that all uh, – I mean, does the, does the, off, do, do the offensive lineman have the flexibility, yes. the latitude to just decide that on their own? Right. Does the rest of the line know what's going on? Well, you know, if you hear, you know, uh, sometimes yes and sometimes no. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we used to call it a G call where the tackle would come down and block the offensive guard's uh, man, and the guard would pull around and pick up the linebacker because of the uh, of the way the, uh, the angles work out. And so, uh, yes, uh, a lot of times you can, uh, uh, you can make that call uh, or it's just a wink. Uh, you know, it's sometimes yeah, you've got to make the call very obvious, and and everybody knows. Uh, you know what Wolf did that to John Colby one time. He's going straight, straight, straight. Colby goes, "Why don't you just tell the defense?" <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, so it, it's uh, uh, you know, so yeah, so the the playing together, uh, really, it, it really really helps. By the way, you're going to like this. The fans uh, listening may be way ahead of us, but we just got the official word that the Steelers-Jacksonville game has been moved to 1 o'clock. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, it is that great. Yeah, it was a, sun, a, sun, a week from Sunday night. Right, yeah. <clears throat> it's not good for me because I wasn't going to have to do the post-game show that day because <laughs> it was an away game at night. Now it's a 1 o'clock game. I'll do it. I'll sacrifice uh, for the good. I don't know if it's the good of the audience, yeah. but uh, in any event. So uh, if you didn't know, that Steeler game has been moved to a 1 o'clock game down in Jacksonville. Um, I was wondering, we look at how the Steeler team has evolved. Right. I think, I once remember talking to Bill Cowher, and Bill said to me, he said it takes about six weeks yes. for you to get an idea of what kind of team you have, even if the same 53 come back, which never happens. But right. um, So here on September 30th, Steelers got thumped by Baltimore. Yes. Manhandled physically. <clears throat> Doom and gloom. People lined up on the 6th Street Bridge, ready right. to jump, you know, yeah. like always around here. Um, you know, after every Steeler loss, after every Penguin game, people are ready to jump. Um, and it's too early. Uh, and they've really evolved. And I wonder if we look at the emergence of James Conner, the force that he's become, if the offensive lineman – the assignments are the same, but if there wasn't a bit of an adjustment to blocking for him as opposed to how they block for Le'Veon Bell. Well, there really isn't, Stan. You know what? You, you, you just, you're not thinking, oh, like in my day, I got Frankie Pollard behind me. No, I got Franco behind me. You, you still come off the ball, and you want to drive your guy off. But it's where the running back 
gets into a timing rhythm with his offensive line because that's where uh, you know the growth comes that's where the development comes you know that that's where kind of the sight adjustment if you will come okay now they're overplaying it outside I'm gonna cut it back to the inside and it, it is it's just a matter of getting all the reps together and that's why you know you've heard me say this several times they don't get enough work in the preseason. Now I understand it because you're 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 worried about your guys. You want to keep them healthy. You want them playing well uh, the second half of the season. But in our day, we played a lot. So coming into week one and week two, we were on the same page. Uh, you know, th- and so that doesn't happen. And it's you. Un- and it's not unique to the Steelers. It's it's league wide. Uh, and and so. What you're seeing now is that offense gelling because they're playing well together. Everybody's on the same page. Uh, you know, the calls are on the same page. The uh, uh, the nod, nod, wink, wink between, you know, hand signals between Ben and either A.B. or Juju. Uh, those things are starting to – they're all happening now because – uh, there is a consistency in, in, in playing together, and that's just the way it is. Well, let me ask you this. I mentioned this uh, before you came on. I mean, James Conner's running style is completely different, obviously, but I've noticed a little bit of Le'Veon Bell in James Conner that I haven't seen before. Right. A little bit of a stutter step, a little bit of a hesitation, create a better angle. Um, going away at the line of scrimmage from a defender. Have you seen any of that? Yeah, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, early in the season, you know, James is a quick hitter. You know, he hits the hole very, very quickly. Uh, one of the things I think he's, uh, uh, in one of the ways that he is growing is if if there's not a hole there now, he's not bouncing it to the outside or trying to cut it way back. He's allowing it to develop. You know, one of the things that makes Le'Veon so effective is that he has the patience of Job. He can, uh, he'll stop. He'll let the the second surge that we use, we call it the second surge. You come off the ball, and sometimes there's a stalemate, but you stay on your guy and you keep driving your legs. Now, when the defender he's he's looking for the offensive lineman, he raises his pad level up. Now you get that second surge. James is starting to be patient a little bit more and allowing the second surge to take place. And so that's great because, uh, you know, I love that that he's a quick hitter and I love the patience that I'm seeing in him now. And the other thing that I think that James uh, has going for him is he's got great eyes. You know, he sees uh, the over-pursuit. He sees where the crease is. And uh, there doesn't have to be a big crease for him to, to, to fire up through it and just keep moving forward. Great running backs have great vision. Right. That's exactly what yeah. you're, you're talking about. Uh, were you as shocked as everybody in the universe when Josh Dobbs came in and threw that pass? I was. Whether he checked off or not, um, you thought, you know, you're, you're the five-yard line. You know, we don't know how long Ben's going to – I thought that they would run twice, just get me out of here and punt and then play some defense. Um, I'm just wondering what your reaction was. I, I, I During the broadcast, I said, good time for a quarterback draw. That's what I said. And, uh, and then when I saw him drop back and throw uh, and make that throw, I went, wow. Now – in retrospect, I'm not surprised because Josh 
has been practicing really, really well. I mean, he has been throwing the ball great. He's been having great practices. You know, Wednesday, Ben doesn't practice. Josh takes, uh, uh, you know, the majority of the offensive reps, and he has looked sharp. Josh Dobbs has improved so much from last year to this year. And, uh, you know, I saw it early in camp. Uh, I saw it through the development uh, in the preseason games, and I've been witnessing it in practice through the course of this season. And he is going to be a player. you got to believe Baltimore thought exactly as everybody else in the building. Right. I mean, you know, that had to be part of it. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, Tunch. I know you've been watching uh, tape all morning um, after you got done with your show. But Ben said after the game that Randy Feekner thought – that they could hit Baltimore up the middle, right. on the seam. And that's exactly what they did with Juju on that play. And I'm wondering, my question is, if I ever get to it, was that the same play where Juju dropped that pass, which was right over the middle? Uh, you know, it was. It, it might have been. I don't know if it was the exact same play, but Ju- when Juju came across from the left side, the ball hit him uh, sooner in the route, and it hit him in stride. That ball uh, was a little low. low. It was really a good catch by Juju. Somebody but, said it may have been tipped at the line of scrimmage a bit. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't notice that. Uh, I, I. I personally didn't notice that, but it might have been. Um, but the 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 first one that Juju dropped, he that ball he had his head around. He was looking down. Yeah. If he if he catches that ball, he's still running. Yeah, yeah. It it was just a, it was a beautiful throw. But you know what? You know you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have those drops and uh, and you know you're talking about uh, you know Tony uh, Tony Jefferson, the strong safety. You know he's got a ham. He's not as fast as he used to. Eric Weddle has lost the step. Uh, and he's not uh, in in position like he has been uh, in the past, and so uh, you know their safety and and uh, you know their corner. They've they've had issues at corner. Uh, you know Jimmy Smith's back, but he's been very inconsistent. Uh, you know Marlon Humphreys has probably been their best guy. Brandon Carr got beat on an out and up by Jesse James. You know he he, he bit on that out and uh, and it, it and you know they run that out from the tight end spot uh, a, a lot. So he read it and said, "Okay, I'm going to jump this route." He jumped it. All of a sudden, boom! Uh, you know, Jesse uh, survived. Yeah, he survived the ground this right, time. Right. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> after he bobbled, after he bobbled, it, after he was auditioning for the the men's volleyball right. team. Yeah. Um, last thing for you, Tunch. Uh, I talk about teams evolving. The arrow on, arrow on this team is clearly pointed up. Um, to what, if you can narrow it down, to what do you attribute the obvious improvement? in their defense. I'm going to be talking about this next segment. In the last four games, they've allowed 17, 21, 18, and 16 points. That's winning football. Right, right. I, I think, number one, their secondary is getting used to playing with one another. You're seeing uh, – now we're seeing a little bit uh, a little bit more of Morgan Burnett. Uh, I think John Bostic has just been outstanding. Uh, you know, you watch John Bostic in the running game. He doesn't get blocked. He just doesn't get blocked. And Vince Williams has been playing well. Fort. Uh, uh, and LJ, you know, you bring LJ in passing situations. LJ is fast, and he plays very, very fast. Uh, you know, uh, I think he was a 4-5 guy in college, and he just he just makes plays. And when he blitzes, uh, it, it's uh, I think he surprises quarterbacks. He gets on them so quick. So I think that uh, uh, that's been a big part of it. I think Stefan Tuitt is playing better. I think Cam is playing really good. And I, and I just think that we're seeing more of uh, of pocket collapsing. And look, you can't say enough about Joe Hayden. 
having Joe Hayden out there, uh, you know, the guys feed off him. Uh, not only his physical ability and his talents, but he his veteran leadership. Uh, you know, he's a great example for the guys out there. So, uh, I just and and also I, I'll tell you what. Having Sean Davis at free safety, yep, he is much better at free safety than he was at strong safety, and he's much better at free safety than what we had last year. And I just think he's been playing uh, great football. He he does a great job of playing the angles, and I think uh, you know the back end is uh, is been doing a really really good job. And Cody Setsabaugh, I'm a big fan. I mean, he is you know he doesn't have the physical ability that some players, but you talk about playing with. Savvy, savvy rather, smarts, uh, experience. Cody is the man. Yeah, I mentioned that about Sean Davis on the DB Morning Show. That they, you know, they, he's playing in position, not yeah. out of position, which he had been. Tunch, as always, thank you. I enjoyed the football talk. Always learn something when we talk. Thanks, Dan. Always good being out with you, buddy. All right, don't forget Tunch and Wolf every weekday morning, 10 until noon. Then I come down and mess things up. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. He gets the snap. He's back with plenty of time. He throws it underneath. Little shake and bake there. Look out. He's loose. Running with the football is the Steeler receiver. And that is Led Bell down the field to the 30, the 25, the 20, and knocked out of bounds at the 17-yard line. He was something to watch loose in that secondary. Yeah, he could do that. And I'm guessing he still can. Joined out by Rob King of AT&T Sportsnet. Rob's brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Hello, Robert. Hello, Stanley. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, you're an old quarterback. Emphasize <laughs> old. Uh, <laughs> in yeah, college. don't emphasize quarterback. No, okay. Well, whatever. That's where you played. I was just a dumb tackle and did what you people like you told me to do. Um, and I, I wanted to mention, because of your knowledge of the of the game, especially from an offensive standpoint, uh, assuming that Bell shows up and he signs, and he, as I mentioned, uh, Mark Cabal, he doesn't look like Casey Hampton when he gets here. Um, <laughs> can, uh, can you see Randy Feekner working on occasion, not all the time, but having both Bell and Connor in the lineup at the same time, just from an offensive stratagem standpoint? Well, that's an interesting question, Stan. And, um, I mean, I don't know if they've got any any two running back packages where, say, a running back goes in motion and now he becomes a receiver. I don't know whether they would do that. And, you know, it, it, it's a good question you raised last week, I think, when we were talking about you know, when would James Washington become part of the equation? The tight ends have really become like the number three receiver. They've really become the Martavis Bryant. Um, now who's the, you know, the, and uh, Connor I think has really replicated what, what Le'Veon Bell has done out of the backfield in many ways. So do you need one more option? Well, is it James Washington? Um, could it be Le'Veon Bell? My, my feeling is, I mean, they, they could do that, but my guess would be, that and I again, this is just a guess. I don't have any idea what they're going to do, but my guess would be that James Conner remains the guy, and Le'Veon Bell becomes James Conner. He comes in for um, X amount of series of games. Um, you get him up to speed. You continue to utilize him in the exact same way um, that you've always utilized him, which is similar to my eye in the way that they're utilizing James Conner now. And he simply becomes your reserve, 
and he's ready to go if you need him, if an injury happens. He's a tremendous luxury to have heading down the stretch and into the playoffs. I don't know if they'll go – I don't know if they'll flip-flop roles, Dan, or, or, and I don't know if they'll try to change the offense radically um, to fit Le'Veon Bell in. That, that, again, that's just to get – could they do that? Sure, and they might do it a little bit, but I, I don't know how – I don't know if you want to get away from what you do to – to uh, bring one guy into the fold, even a, a guy as good as Le'Veon Bell. And you know what I think of him. I think he's, when he's right, he's the best in the business. Well, I don't think there's any way that James Conner will cease to be the number one running back. Um, I, I mean, I, I think, as Mark Cabali was saying, and I agree with this, a couple things come to my mind. Um, instead of Jalen Samuels getting four to six carries a game to give Conner a bit of a blow, that becomes Le'Veon Bell which is right. an improvement um, there. Maybe he gets more than that. Uh, but the other thing is, and i got to believe that they've thought about this for a long time, not knowing when Bell might show up, but i got to believe that, you know, so far, not that they're ruling out James Washington, but he hasn't been really, hasn't had any effect whatsoever. I can see Connor in the backfield and Bell in the slot, lining up as a wide receiver, or instead of Ryan Switzer, who's done a good job, instead of that role, all of a sudden it's Le'Veon Bell running past patterns in there, giving you that option. I mean, I, I think there are ways to work him in without compromising what they've done with with uh, with James Conner. Yep, I think that's more likely what they'll do. Now, could they have a package where both guys line up there um, if they thought that they could put it in relatively easily, I think, if they felt like it could cause some matchup headaches for the other team. Oh, boy, then would I it? See it. <laughs> then I, yeah, then I could see a two-back look. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's not an offense that needs to be radically overhauled. Um, it's also not an offense. That, and, and, look, you want to take advantage of the fact that you have Le'Veon Bell for a period of time. But I, I'm with you, Stan. I think it's going to be – I think you find him – you know, 10 to 20 snaps in a game and, and make sure he's sharp and ready to go with the, exactly the kind of rules you're talking about once he gets up to speed. Um, why have Ryan Switzer? No, I, I like Ryan Switzer. I like what he's done in the, in the return game. But Le'Veon Bell is, is an extraordinary talent. Can Le'Veon Bell split out a little bit? Sure he can. Can you come up with a little bit of two backs that they're both in there? I think you can probably do that. So now maybe you push that snap count up to, Stay closer to 15 for Le'Veon Bell, and you keep him sharp. And if and if injury happens, now um, you're losing a running back who's been one of the best in the league, and you're replacing him with a guy who, when he's at his best, is in my opinion the best in the league. So it's nice to I think you sharpen him. That, that's what you do. I don't think you overhaul a whole awful lot when Le'Veon Bell comes back. Tinker, yes, uh, overhaul, make big changes, do anything radical. I don't see the need for it. Yeah, uh, and I, I, again, I, I've been steadfast. Uh, if you don't think that they haven't pre-thought about this a great deal, uh, I think you'd be underselling the Steelers' offensive coaching staff. I think they sure. have an idea. You know, the other factor is, too, I know there are a lot of people who say, you know, they're mad at Bell, and so I think, I think that they, they get, let that get in the way of, of the practical application of his return. But, you know, one of the major reasons, not only has, has Connor been great, is that you would have you would run the risk of losing some of the locker room. I, I don't think that the rest of the players in there would take kindly to James Conner being relegated to the bench or a backup role. Well, this is something that I thought about Stan at the beginning of the season. When I, when I thought about what Bell was doing 
when the rumors initially came out, I think James Harrison was the one who mentioned it, said, mm-hmm. you know, he shouldn't show up till week 11. And you start to think, what could that scenario look like? And um, this, to me, is, uh, is the scenario that is least favorable for Le'Veon Bell playing for a couple of reasons. One, yes, you're talking about exactly what you're talking about. You lose the locker room for, for a guy that maybe team players would be a little disgruntled about. If, if James Conner was averaging 3.9 yards a carry and was having a, a nice little season um, and you bring back Le'Veon Bell, sure, then you can make a move. But James Conner's your guy moving forward now. Um, he's done it, – it's not like um, you're, you're not going to win um, or you're going to lose because of James Conner's performance. That is not a worry right now for the Steelers. So I don't think it makes sense – in the locker room, I don't think it makes sense for the Steelers to take a guy who has shown up, done the work, did what you asked in the offseason, and above all, and let's not forget this, because this isn't second grade where little Johnny gets a star for trying hard. He's been remarkable. With all those things added in there, and let's not forget that last part, Stan, because if he's not remarkable, then he's on the bench. But to me, he's been remarkable. So I don't see any reason for the present and future Steelers that you would supplant him. That's just my opinion. Last thing on the Steelers for you, Rob. Uh, I've never felt, and we had this conversation off the air, that Baltimore was that good. I think that a lot of people defined them by what they did to the Steelers in the first game between the two, which was impressive, but I just I just didn't see them as, as being a great team. That does not diminish what the Steelers did on Sunday. Uh, and in this four-game winning streak and, and all the stats that go with it, uh, are you getting the sense that this is the team that most expected them to be and that they expected themselves to be? The Steelers. Yeah. Yes. And, and by the way, um, it may be instructive, and, and again, different personnel, but think about the Ravens and now think about Le'Veon Bell. So I'm watching them, and look, they know their personnel, but you got three or four tight ends you're trying to get in the mix, and I think you can create some mismatches. mismatches. Then you got Collins. Then you got Ty Montgomery. You have Buck Allen. You have three receivers. After a while, enough becomes enough. I'm looking at the Ravens, and I'm thinking to myself, That's, they're probably trying to do too much offensively. I only say that to circle back to, to Le'Veon Bell and the damage you could potentially do by trying to do too much, which I think might be part of Baltimore's problem. Um, but, no, I – I believe that this is, and I've believed all along that this is, one of a handful of teams in the AFC um, who has a legitimate shot at going to and winning the Super Bowl. So this is the team. They're becoming the team that I've expected them to be. Um, last year I thought that they and Jacksonville were the two most talented teams in the AFC with the separator being Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. Um, I still think Jacksonville is, is, uh, is talented, but they're not performing. Um, they're learning that it's, it's hard to be – and that's, again, instructive for fans. It's hard to do what the Steelers do year in and year out. It's hard to do what the Patriots do year in and year out. Um, Jacksonville is learning that valuable lesson right now. Um, so, no, I, I think this is what I expected the Steelers to be, and I, and I believe they're on track to remaining what I thought they were going to be all along, which is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Does that include the defense? I mean, do you think the defense uh, has shown signs that it could be more than just sort of a, a collar, uh, a weight, uh, a millstone around the offense's neck? Yes, and, uh, and there's a couple of things that have happened that make me think that. First of all, let's not forget this is a defense that led the league in sacks a year ago. 
so they can create some havoc. Um, they're not as, you know, there was a day where the Steelers, uh, you know, led the league in sacks, uh, were difficult to run on and were difficult to throw on. Well, it's not that defense, but it can still create havoc. And then I think a guy who deserves some credit and was kind of, let's, let's be honest, Bostic was getting excoriated by the press and fans in the preseason and early on in the season. I think he has done a very, very solid job mm-hmm. um, stepping in in, difficult, in a difficult situation. That was one that was hard to forecast at the beginning of the year. Um, I think people, uh, the Steelers were pilloried for that, for that, uh, that signing, and I, I'm not hearing quite as many complaints now because I think he's been solid. Um, you know, look, the safeties, the corners, they still have to grow a little bit. But I think it's, um, I think it's a, a capable defense. It's probably an offense, probably a team in which you, you, you still need the offense maybe to, to carry the day, but they're hard to run on. And when they get you behind, when they get that combination of the, the offense producing and getting a lead, um, and, and they, can do, they can help themselves by stopping the run and getting you into third and long, it's, it's, that, that's when the Steelers' defense has always been at its best. And I think even more so now it's when it's at its best, when it gets you in those long-yarded situations and can unleash the pass rush. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.